0: I want to share with you um, from Mark chapters 12 and 13 today. so if you want to turn in your Bibles to that you can. Uh, last week I shared briefly uh, about um, about Mark chapter 12, and uh, we talked about a couple. Uh, core values in the church that Jesus is implanting at this particular point in his ministry and um, And one of them uh, that we pointed out was uh, this idea of God's vineyard and um, and that all that God builds and He builds through us must be to his glory and must be for for his benefit, and he will be looking for the harvest. And, uh, and we should be ready to present to him a harvest. Uh, the second thought that we had was this idea of the widow who showed up a few times in the, in the gospel of Mark here in chapter 12. And uh, the idea was that as a church, we, we ought to be looking for a way to develop an environment where it is safe for the least amongst us to give their all to the Lord. Um, if indeed it is safe for the least amongst us to give their all, then it will also be safe for those who are uh, considered great by the world uh, to give their all here. The um, the whole method and mode of judging one another needs to be adjusted. We need to recognize that God sees things differently to the way that we do. So that was part of last week's sermon, and we recognized the importance of uh, loving God with all of our heart in this way. There were a few things I didn't mention that I really wanted to mention from that uh, chapter that I believe are really important and I'm just going to gloss over them a little bit here. But uh, Jesus mentions in the first section of uh, Mark chapter 12 in the parable of the tenants, he quotes from Psalm 118. And, uh, and in verse 10, he says, have you not read this scripture? Now, he's speaking out a parable against the religious leaders of his day, and he questions them on their reading of the scriptures. And, um, and I'd like to suggest that this is, a, um, this is a very important question for all of us, uh, particularly those who consider ourselves to be mature in our faith and uh, those who have been given some level of accountability and responsibility over the house of the Lord or perhaps over the house of the Lord in your own family. Have you not read this scripture, Jesus says, and then he quotes from Psalm 118. Uh, I I want to ask you a question. Have you read this scripture? Because if you haven't read this scripture, then it is very possible that your... uh, your, um, uh, the tools with which you judge and make decisions may be deficient. May be deficient. Have you read the scripture? Jesus says, verse ten: "The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes." Just because we should turn to Psalm 118. Um, since Jesus said, have you not read the scripture, and uh, many of you may have forgotten Psalm 118, let's go there. Psalm 118. It's rather lengthy. Um, let's see how much of it we can get through. Psalm 118, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Have you heard that before? Yeah. That's one of those antiphonal songs. The worship leader says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And the congregation responds with, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's give it a try. Come on, just for fun. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. <laughs> let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. let those who fear the Lord say, Thank you, Angela. Added music to it right there. It's a beautiful refrain, isn't it? His steadfast love endures forever. Isn't that the theme of today's worship service? Let it be the theme in your heart all week long. His steadfast love endures forever. This is the very basis of our faith. At the very bottom of everything is this idea that God loves us. God loves us. Whatever religious expression we may have, whatever uh, rituals we may adopt, whatever habits we form for our family, in the name of Christ, let there be this at the foundation, at the very core, this as the elemental idea, his steadfast love endures forever. I'm telling you now that if you remember this, the questions that you have about God and about existence about the universe, about the beginning, or the end of all things. All these things will find their meaning inside of this elemental idea. His steadfast love endures forever. Forget it not, my friends, forget it not. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered and set me free. (laughs) The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't this good? This is good stuff, right? This is the psalm Jesus is quoting as he's busy addressing the failure of the religious system of Jerusalem. The Lord is on my side. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. Okay, wait a second. Helper. I'm just going to check something real quick. I want to know what that word is. Let's do this. Let's put a pen in it. Here we go. Let's go to this beautiful uh, software that I have on my phone. And let's go to Psalm 118, and verse 7. The Lord is on my side as my helper. Wow. This is interesting. I want to go back and see something about Genesis chapter 2. And I want to see something. See if this is the same word. The Lord took man, put him in the Garden of Eden. God said, "It's not good for men to be alone. I will make him a helper." Huh. <laughs> wouldn't you know? Wow. So the word here is Ezer in Genesis chapter two, and that is Hebrew 58:28. Let me go back to Psalm 118 isn't this fun this is like this is like national treasure right here we're discovering things this is hebrew 5826 wow and the word is azar it's the same idea it's just very slightly different in the in the uh, <laughs> Actually, the consonants are the same. It's the vowels that are different. Wow. This is a little bit of a shock to the system, isn't it? How about a glorious revelation? No, but it's a it's a shock to the system because because God made Eve for Adam as a helper. But in Psalm 118, the psalmist is saying, The Lord is on my side as My helper. That's a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Psalm 54, verse 4. Look at you guys. We're we're developing a sermon together here. Look at this. Psalm 54, verse 4. Behold, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. I just need you to see something real quick. Okay, this little exercise is not new to me. But it is new to you. It's kind of fun. Do you know that the word used for helper to describe Adam and Eve is the same word which we sang about in one of our songs earlier today, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. Ezer is the same word. Here I raise my rock of help, essentially. The rock of remembrance that helps me to remember how the Lord is in fact my helper. Hitherto hath the Lord helped me. I just need you to see the relationship that is being described in these words. Can you see it? It is a relationship that is essentially only known to man in the most intimate of of bonds. The relationship between husband and wife. And God is claiming this as a description for his relationship with us. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 118 is describing a relationship with the Lord that is so great that I do not need to fear what man will do to me. I'm going to go ahead and do this just because it's fun and it's pop culture. We don't need Will Smith to put a smack down on the one who insults us because God is our helper. Sorry, I just had to do that. Let's carry on reading Psalm 118. Isn't that beautiful stuff? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I want you to see here Psalm 118 is teaching you how to step into the confidence of having the Lord as your helper. There is a declaration that you can make. Because of your relationship with God, because of God's relationship with you, because He is at your right hand as your helper, you can do this. You can, in the name of the Lord, cut your enemies off. Now, the question, of course, is who is my enemy? They think it's funny upstairs, I guess. The question is who is my enemy? At the beginning of the service, I told you, if you were listening, that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? That is our enemy. And let me tell you that the enemy is fiercely seeking to undo your relationship with God, fiercely seeking to do that. He wants to test you so that he can prove that you're not faithful and On the flip side, he also wants to test you by saying God is not faithful. Get you to the place where you doubt your relationship with God. You doubt God's commitment to his promise. You doubt whether God is able to fulfill what he promised. You doubt that God is willing to fulfill what he promised. Satan is your enemy. In the name of the Lord, I cut him off. Let me read it again. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. My friends, this is the passage that Jesus quotes In Mark chapter 12. Have you read the scripture? Because if you had read the scripture, then why would you ever abuse the Lord's vineyard? The Sadducees against whom, the Pharisees, the Sadducees against whom Jesus is speaking, they have not read the scripture. I'm sure they sang it many times. I'm sure in their religious services they adopted these words and spoke them out. I'm sure they made a pretense by making long prayers using these words. But did they understand these words? No. They did not understand that the Lord is their helper. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for you to be alone. Do you have a helper? This man's preaching the gospel right here in the front row. Dance right on it. Who is our helper? Did Jesus not say that he sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper? (laughs) Oh, don't you love it when the lights start to go on? Don't you love it when you start to see through the darkness and discover that the Lord is so marvelous in all of his ways? Let's carry on reading. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I, I want you to see the, the, the timeline in that, that's just innate in that verse. You see it? The Lord is my strength, and then He's my song, and then He has become my salvation. Yes. Now, I'm not usually one for formulas, but I kind of like this little formula. It is I like this little formula. The Lord is my strength. That's something that you just adopt by faith. The Lord is my strength. I am not my strength. Circumstances are not my strength. My bank account is not my strength. My friends are not my strength. My smarts are not my strength. My job is not my strength. My kids are not my strength. My grandkids are not my strength. These things are not my strength. The Lord is my strength. And you know what's going to come next? I'm going to worship him and I'm going to praise him but this is all before he's become my salvation, by the way. Have you noticed that? I've declared that he's my strength because he declared that he's my strength. He's my helper. And I'm going to hold on to that relationship. And I'm going to make a demand upon that relationship. But I'm also going to trust that relationship. And I'm going to trust that he's not going to fail me. And out of that relationship is going to come forth my song. Thank you, Emilio and Claudine, for being the perfect sermon illustration today. Going through difficulties, stri- uh, uh, trials and struggles. And yet you sang a song. We are not alone. And you sang by faith. And God has manifested himself now as your salvation. Come on, church. Hold fast. The right hand of the Lord does... Oh, I missed verse 15. Sorry. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. That's the next part of the song. So he's my strength. Then he becomes my song. Now he's become my salvation. And now there's an even bigger song. The glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. This is the song that we're singing. And by the way, this is reminiscent of, of the, 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 the song of, of Miriam. As uh, Moses and Miriam and Aaron are singing after the Red Sea has swallowed up all their enemies. And God has utterly destroyed their enemy because the Lord does it. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. (laughs) I have an old song from the 1970s, I think, just rattling through my brain right now. (laughs) The right hand of the Lord is valiantly, the right hand of the Lord is exalted, the right hand of the Lord is valiantly, I shall not die, but I shall live in something, something, declare the goodness of the Lord. Anyway, there's an old song for you. Wow. It takes me back to when I was 10 years old, probably. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. That's a strange verse suddenly, that right there. I got it dotted, underlined in my Bible because I'm like, what? Where does that come from? I thought we were singing valiant songs songs about the Lord doing valiantly, and now all of a sudden He's disciplining me. I want you to see the beauty of this, Psalm 118, in that the Lord goes to battle for you, even though there are still things in you that need to be addressed. But He has He has the grace to fight for you and win your victory and then discipline you. He doesn't wait for you to be perfect before he fights your war. I mean, that's the timeline that I'm seeing here in Psalm 118. I think the author of Psalm 118 is brilliant because they're giving us a hope and a trust that's based on steadfast love. And steadfast love, if you're a parent and your kid is in trouble, even though your kid got himself into the trouble, you're still going to go to bat for your kid, right? And then afterwards, you're going to be like, so, son, you need to come over here and uh, we need to talk about this. Maybe my belt needs to talk about this. But it's uh, it's a beautiful relationship that we have with God and everything is based on this relationship with God. And the tenants who are taking care of the vineyard and abusing the vineyard in Mark chapter 12 are obviously not in relationship with God. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Watch this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Man, Psalm 118 is just featuring all over Mark chapters 11 and 12, isn't it? We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up on the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever have you read this scripture i want you to see in verse 24 jesus says this is this not the reason that you are wrong because you neither you know neither the scriptures nor the power of god is not this the reason that you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of god we can say that too. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus goes on in chapter thirty, I mean in chapter twelve, verse thirty-six, to quote Psalm one hundred and ten. The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet." And um, and he prefaces it by saying in verse thirty-six, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. And then he speaks these words. Jesus quotes the scripture and he asks the question Have you read the scripture? And he makes the comment that we are at fault because we do not know the scripture and we do not know the power of God. I'd like to suggest that the most virulent and dangerous enemy of Christ is bad theology. The most virulent and dangerous enemy of Christ is bad theology. Jesus appeals to the Scripture to correct our theology and tells us, essentially, that if we understand the Scripture, that we will experience the power of God. May I tell you that the reason we do not step into our full destiny is because we are not familiar With the word of the Lord. I know it's a message you've heard ever since Sunday school days. You need to spend more time in the word. But I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, today. You need to spend more time in the word. I need to spend more time in the word. We need to spend more time in the word. It is the fountainhead of life. But the scriptures without relationship, without the understanding of the steadfast love of God, will be nothing but dry sawdust in our mouths. We need to know the scripture, but we need to understand the heart behind that scripture. And I appeal to you today, don't be satisfied with poor theology. Don't be satisfied with poor theology from this pulpit. Don't be satisfied with poor theology in your own pulpit. The pulpit of your own heart. As you're raising your children, those of you who are parents and those of you who are going to be parents, as you raise your children, your opinions count and they matter, but only in so much as they are submitted to God's Word. Your opinions are very, very detrimental if they are not submitted and surrendered to the Word of the Lord. Your opinions can actually bring tremendous harm and damage opinions that are not submitted to humility that are not given to obedience that do not allow the lord to severely discipline us those opinions can actually be the very voice of satan himself and there's not a one of us who want to be satan's voice to our children is there or to our grandchildren Beware, my friends, for there are many things that compete for your allegiance. There are many philosophies, many ideals. There are many thoughts out there that are presented to you in all different kinds of forms, and they come all dressed up. The book of Proverbs speaks about them. It envisions them as a wanton woman. No offense to the ladies here. It was an image that would have been very very um obviously wrong to the original readers in a uh, patriarchal society the idea of the wanton woman of proverbs is a uh, it's a, it's an obvious and uh, and stark demonstration of something you don't want whereas the righteous woman the virtuous woman of proverbs is presented as the one we do want. Many of us have read the book of Proverbs in our daily readings. There's 31 of them, 31 chapters of Proverbs, and the longest months have 31 days, and you can do a chapter of Proverbs a day and learn many things. But we've read about these and we've gotten stuck on the metaphor and we haven't actually asked ourselves what does the metaphor represent. The metaphor of the wanton woman versus the virtuous woman represents the ideologies of the world versus the wisdom of God. It represents the word of the world versus the word of God. It's got nothing to do with sexuality, although it encompasses all those things. It has nothing to do with actual wanton woman. It has everything to do with the Ideology that the world continues to pour out at you. Worldly thinking has become so pervasive within the household of faith that it is hard to find anyone who can make a stand on things biblical. Let us not be so wishy-washy, my friends. Amen to that amen to that well we have reached the end of my time so i must uh, wrap this up uh, mark 13 speaks of the destruction of the temple and that's a that's a thorny passage that i'm actually quite glad not to preach this morning so <laughs> maybe we'll skip that and go to mark 14 next week and um, i've uh, preached on mark 13 in my Bible studies on the book of Revelation. So I've given it some extensive treatment there. Uh, I don't know, maybe we'll give a brief overview next time. But um, for the meantime, I appeal to you uh, become experts in the scripture, search the scripture, read so that it just comes out of you. Maybe in all of that faithfulness to the Lord and becoming familiar with His Word with a humble heart, maybe God will reveal to us things we didn't even know. Maybe we will walk in sync with His Holy Spirit and He will truly be our helper and we will find strength in time of need for the Lord is near to those who call upon Him. Near. Let us allow the Scriptures to shape us. Let us allow the Scriptures to shape our our philosophy of life. Let us allow the scripture to become our moral high ground, as it were. Not that we're higher than others, but the moral ground that teaches us how to make decisions and how to undo things we've done wrong, how to take responsibility, how to repent, how to change, how to grow, how to build, how to plant, how to give honor. Let us allow the word of God to teach us how to look at one another, how to treat one another, how to treat the least amongst us how to treat the opposite gender, how to, be, how to be gracious and compassionate for He is gracious and compassionate. Let us allow the Lord through His Word to teach us to love even those who despitefully use us. Let us allow the Lord to teach us through His Word how to place our trust in Him, not in our resources or our material wealth. Let us learn to trust the Lord to be discerning about who we give to and who we don't give to our time, our talents, our treasures. Let us learn from the Word of God how to do all these things. Let us learn how to vote for people in office and how to not vote for people in office. Let us learn how to respond to things that we see or perhaps keep our mouth shut. Let us learn how to be a helping hand even to people that we despise. Let us learn to be gracious, for we are the image bearers of God. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray your grace here today. And I ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, who is our very present help and helper, that you would give us firm grip, strong legs to stand a sword in our hands to fight our enemies, a sword on our lips, compassion in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you be with us now and throughout the rest of the week? In Jesus' name, amen.